Welcome to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Your hosts are freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield, plus videographer and host of the YouTube channel Craving Cars, Corey Pratt, and 35-year radio veteran, book publisher, and vehicular village idiot, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's rev up the conversation. Time for Driven Radio Show. Hey, car enthusiasts. Welcome to Driven Radio, your weekly automotive happy hour. I am Brett Hatfield, here with our engineer and co-host, Mr. Mark Groves. Yo! And the evil genius behind Craving Cars on YouTube, Mr. Corey Pratt. (laughs) That's me. Nice giggle. (laughs) We are coming to you from Driven Radio Studios in beautiful, and it really was beautiful today. I'm surprised we're getting weather like like this in December. That means that come February, we're probably going to get kicked in the crotch. Christmas Eve is supposed to be like 63 degrees. Mm -hmm. I think spring starts in June, doesn't it? Uh, No, probably January 14th. I'm thinking thinking winter is going to officially start mid-January and last till May. That that says we're going to get our first bit of spring in June, and we'll have like three days of it, and then summer. Flowers will come out. Everything will bloom. It'll be from June 3rd to June 7th, and then it'll be 100 degrees all summer long. I'm not planning a garden anymore, so it's not going to snow. Sorry. You're not going to get any snow you because bastard. I won't have this tomatoes in the ground. You did this? <laughs> yeah, this is my fault. <laughs> I, well, I say this. The, I'm really the, mad the longer, I'm not going to get any more salsa. The, the longer there's no of that, the more I get to drive my Porsche. Well, see? Here you are. Uh, Corvette here. You Silver go. lining. You're here. Uh, you, you'd ri- you'd be riding your bike. Yeah, if it wasn't behind two wet mattresses. <laughs> no, you'd, you'd have to have a garage sale boxes. first. I'm so tired of it. Five plugs. Of- I love my baby boy, but <laughs> get the hell out. Flap those wings. Flap those wings. Maybe you should just dig your bike out and park it in front of his crap, and then he'll be absolutely <laughs> motivated to get it You could have a Christmas garage sale or yard sale or whatever. Just put See, everything out in the yard. I can help him move. Put a sign on it. Put a, put a bucket with like a little slit on the lid. Oh, People just yeah. put the money in there. You don't even have to be there. Pay what you feel. Yeah. Yeah, that'll work. Done. I'll help you. I went to pull a, a buck out of my wallet today because there was a guy sitting at the end of an exit ramp that had the best sign ever. <laughs> and I was on the phone with our guest, and I wasn't really paying attention, and I handed him the bill. And he took it, and he held it up, and I had given him a 20. <gasps> nice. And I'm sitting there going... Okay, what's the protocol on the? Do you do you take your money back from the piano? Damn it, that was you know an expensive what? lesson. Merry Xmas, Merry Xmas. <laughs> and he, he did have an epically wonderful sign. It said, "Too ugly to prostitute." <laughs> <laughs> and you were like trying to make him prove it, dude. Well, I took one look at, at him. They're being honest. Look, one took one look at him. I was in full agreement. Yeah, you win. But that was that's the most expensive smile I've had in a while. Damn it! Son of a... Well, there goes my burger. Uh-huh. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com. What a nice segue. And ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, And listen everywhere fine podcasts are heard. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to tell your gearhead friends. If there's something you'd like to hear more of, or if you have an interesting story, please, by all means, tell us. Send your emails to brett at drivenradioshow.com. All right, guys. You've got uh, nothing this week because you're, you're... I, mean, I got nothing. Your two-wheel hot rods parked behind uh, rotting mattresses. My, my truck's still running, and it's not blasting liquids all over the driveway. Shazam. I'm a happy camper. Bing. Dude. 
Yeah. Score. Life is good. That That's not bad. How about you, dude? Well, I got to participate in one of the two-day journeys of the Duran Cherry Foundation. They did this oh, last really, weekend. really? Yeah. So uh, basically what it was, there was families kind of in need. So they had kids that probably, some of them had like cancer and things of that sort. So here, mm, here they've Christmas got, cheer. they've got uh, more important <laughs> things like trying to find out how they're going to pay for the next chemo treatment and not get gifts. So they, the lovely people from the Duran Cherry Foundation got together with a bunch and donations and all that stuff. And we had a parade of cars to go oh, around dude, to multiple houses delivering presents to kids. That's beautiful. That and is I captured that's it absolutely all on beautiful. Video. Good. And it should be out in a couple you. weeks on Craving Your Cars YouTube channel. Uh, I have been chained to my desk in my office writing up Mecham coverage, writing up uh, stuff for other stuff for sports car market, trying to keep up with stuff for Ford Authority and GM Authority where I'm really not doing a very good job of staying afloat. And just trying to scribble <laughs> as much as honest. I could. And finally, last night I snapped. Oh, no. Yeah, I I uh, had to get into the adult beverages a little bit, and then this morning jumped up, (laughs) got myself out of bed, drove directly to the warehouse where the little blue Corvette was sitting. I jumped in that, and oh, I I got my therapy on the way home. Side pipe therapy, therapy, baby. (laughs) You're not wrong. (laughs) Absolutely fantabulous. Uh, this week in the news, 18 cars you'd love to own if they weren't such nightmares. <laughs> How much are electric vehicles really helping the environment? Not very much. And Haggerty's Bull List for 2022. Our special guest this week is artist and racer Christopher Michaels. Christopher will be here to discuss the cannonball racing, overlanding, why the KKK hates him, why hookers are better than AAA, and buying super trucks from the DEA. We've got a lot to cover this week, so let's get to it. Well, from Car and Driver, uh, there's 18 classic dream cars that we would love to own, uh, but are actually nightmares. To they are. Actually nightmares. They absolutely <laughs> so, yeah, are. No. Uh, 18 much-loved classic cars that are nightmares to own. Uh, many of them have been notorious for ages. Uh, there are a couple you may not have suspected. Uh, every Br- British um, entry cited Lucas Electronics, which every, every, it's the nightmare. Every stinking one of them, <laughs> without fail. That's every, definitely their major Every one of them talked about crap mm-hmm. electrics, and it's universally Lucas. I'm Lucas. But we've got okay, so like the Prince of, <laughs> Prince of <laughs> pretty, Darkness. Pretty much. <laughs> Ooh, just what, what, up. What, what, is, what is the one? What, why do uh, the British drink warm beer? Because they can't keep because the because Lucas makes refrigerators too. Well, and the other one is is uh, why don't the Brits make TVs? Because they can't figure out how to get them to leak oil. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry if anyone interrupted. It was oh, well. We have the well. Speaking of which, we're going to start with the German car, uh, the Porsche 924 Turbo. Originally designed to be a Volkswagen, yes, uh, wound up. Weren't uh, they all? Yeah. <laughs> well, this was one where they went. <laughs> Volkswagen went to Porsche Nuh-uh. to. Nuh-uh. Hey, that's just VW's snotty cousin. But <laughs> well, Porsche is a consultant company as well, so they went to Porsche to, to yeah, help them for the design. Yeah, yeah. But uh, what the article said is the nine two four turbos. Uh, it was all the turbo plumbing that you know. Had so it was the turbo that the fittings and everything that rotted up. and all that I gotcha. crap. Oh but wow! I don't think that they would be that bad. But of course, I've never had to repair a nine two four turbo, so I may be just talking out the other end. It's like I feel like it's a decent car until they did the turbo part. Then, well, I, I, for for I, its time, I dated a girl once who had a regular nine two four, but she had rotted pipes too. <laughs> <laughs> Not untrue. <laughs> and uh, uh, 
not a turbo, naturally aspirated, and it had an automatic, <laughs> and it was the most disappointing car you oh. could ever oh. drive. It was. I, I would rather be driving a rabbit diesel pickup. Now you got to tell me about the the Maserati Shamal. I don't know that much about this one. This is uh, kind of an offshoot of the Maserati Biturbo of the uh, 1980s, and really, really terrific styling. Uh, I'm not sure who it was, but it looked like it had touches of Marcello Gandini. Um, oh, okay, but. Every stinking one of those bi-turbos was crap to work on and maintain. And this is a V8 bi- twin turbo crap to work I, on. I and think Maseratis in general weren't that great. Yeah, well, they, they weren't very, <laughs> now, very wonderful. Now we, now, we were talking about earlier, now, every 18 cars on this list, none of them are American cars. Not However, a one. two of them are, are powered by American and and it's number three and number four. Number yes. three is the Jensen Interceptor. Mm-hmm. Number four the, is the early, the early uh, years, yeah, the, the early years of the Di Tommaso Pantera. Uh, the Interceptor was powered either by a, a Chrysler 426 or a 383, and the Pantera had the Ford, the Ford. Uh, 351. Mm-hmm. Um, Jensen Interceptor is British. Lucas Electrics. Yep, yep. Uh, so it wasn't, even, wasn't the American part of that was the failure there. <laughs> the the Di Tommaso Pantera, I can attest to this because I worked on one when I was down in McPherson. Yeah, that's right. And the running joke about that car is it was put together third shift on a Friday after a couple <laughs> bottles of wine. <laughs> Noble day at the office. Yep. Uh, the Alfa Romeo uh, GTV6. I really do like this car. A lovely car. It's a beautiful design, but... Problems. Alfa. It's Alfa. <laughs> so there... I almost uh, uh, got one, um, but my my bucket was too big, an uh, Alpha. So uh, I would have had spare uh, room in the bucket to fit all the rusted uh, uh-huh. metal. So I decided to <laughs> use the pick bucket any for, it up like, for the I don't know, washing a car or something <laughs> instead. <laughs> I know that makes no sense to some people. But that's okay. Uh, the Aston Martin uh, Lagonda. Lagonda. Uh, also a very – when did that one come out? What, what about that? That was a mid-'80s to early-'90s car. Okay. Uh, very – Interesting design, a little polarizing, but very cool car. These had, uh, these rather than having buttons, they had heat-sensitive touchpads throughout the car hmm. and digital display. And, oh, the early digital displays. Oh, yes, but early digital mm, displays done by, by who? Lucas. Lucas. Oh, boy. <laughs> We've got lots of, lots of, lots of electric stuff in the car, and none of it works. <laughs> uh, might look good, though. I don't know. The, the Citroen uh, SM? Citroen SM. Uh, it, you know, kind of coincidental, the, uh, the new uh, Grand Tour special is out here just about a week ago yep. and they took a, a long look at french cars and you know they they mentioned how brilliant the citroen sm is and how pretty it is and how you just cannot keep the suckers running you just can't <laughs> uh although say i will say this the sms had one of the smoothest rides of any car ever built ever it has a cantilevered uh hydraulic suspension system to it and it's really interesting to see work. And they they ride oh, yeah. amazingly, and their styling is beautiful. One and, of a kind, for sure. And their maintenance is atrocious. Is right. the real, rear axle actually shorter than the front end? So it's wider at the front than the back? Because I'm looking at these pictures, and I swear to God that the back end is narrower. I think, well, I think that's French, very likely. It very well could be. Oh, wow. It looks very tapered, kind of teardroppy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it's a French car, so the butt's kind of like puckered. Got it. Well. Nailed it. All right. Could be lots of other things. Maybe the designer didn't have his coffee that morning. We don't. 
We do it like this because we want to. Tighten your buttocks on your car. (laughs) I told him we already got one. (laughs) (laughs) We got the Ferrari 308 GTB uh, and GTS. I think I would probably argue with this. This is one of the few Ferraris that if you, uh, one of the few mid-engine Ferraris, if you need to do a belt service on it, you don't have to pull the engine. You can pull the inner fender well from the passenger side rear tire and do the belt service that way. These are. This is one of the Ferraris that normal people could actually wrench on if they wanted to. Well, well, with that, then how do you feel about the the next one here, the Ferrari F three fifty five? I wouldn't touch one of those with a ten foot pole. Oh, there you go. So there's a huge difference there between uh, hugely more complicated. The three hundred eight was one of the last analog Ferraris. It really was. People say that about the three fifty five. I disagree heavily. Uh, the three fifty five had that five valve per cylinder. Uh, oh, engine five uh, right. three and a half liter made 375 horsepower extremely potent had a musical exhaust note sure. and they're a nightmare to maintain <laughs> well then it makes me wonder you think the 308's on here because maybe it's just hard to get the parts if something were to go wrong so that's what makes it a nightmare you know more I, so than the, the maintenance or I, I don't really hear too many people having a 308 and just being junk cars yeah i i would have for a ferrari i would have voted for a lot of other ferraris before i voted for that right then we're back to uh, good old Lucas here uh-huh. with the uh, with actually one of my favorite Jags, the E Type. Actually, these are two of my favorite Jags. Lucas, probably the most beautiful Jag ever built. Enzo Ferrari called it the most beautiful yep. car ever built. Yep, that straight six in those things are glorious. Yeah, uh, it but sounds so good. The six is bad enough. The twelve is a nightmare. Yeah, when you get to the XJS, which is the next one, and that's the exact same thing with the D12. XJS. That damn thing. <laughs> Especially with that five three liter twelve, I reviewed yeah. one of those from Meekum here a couple of weeks ago. You lifted up the hood; it just looked like a giant double handful of greasy spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like one of those things. If you got bottomless money, they're great. Yeah, to, well, um, I, I was because they're such glorious looking cars. And my mom had an Very XJS classic. convertible with the with the big six in it, and I thought it was a fantastic car. But I didn't want to touch it with a. I, no way was I going to wrench on that. No, no, I I wouldn't either. <laughs> Not, uh, not qualified for that. We got the Lotus Land and the Lotus Esprit. Lotus. Which, there you go. I, I know a little bit about Esprits. Uh, the transmission that's in those is the same transmission that was in the DeLoreans. And oh, yeah, it was yeah. really engineered to take all the 140 horsepower the DeLoreans <laughs> put out. Not yeah. so much on the Lotus right. Esprit, especially when you got to the V8 twin turbos that they detuned to 350 horse to try and make the transmission last. My understanding is on one of those, a first cure launch equals new transmission. Right. It'll just oh. spit chunks on the ground. Oh. Now we've got what uh, what some people consider is to be the true first supercar, the yeah. Lamborghini Mira. And I absolutely agree. I think they're one of the most beautiful things ever built. I have the Lusties for one, but it would be a lottery <laughs> win. And furthermore, oh, yeah, for sure. I think if you're going to buy the one of those, you ought to have double the purchase price to hire a mechanic. Something like that. Uh, I do hear they don't drive as good as, but you, you got to think oh, a 60 supercar is not going to probably drive as good as something compared My to understanding nowadays. Is and I I may be getting this from Top Gear, this is old Top Gear, yeah. that uh, the fuel, the gas tank was in the front, and you filled that up, and the car had one set of handling characteristics, and then as it burned through the gas, <laughs> the ca- handling characteristics changed. That's what it probably. Oh yeah, that'd be interesting, That's wouldn't a it? Boo-boo. <laughs> now, now, if anybody's curious on this next one, on what years they're talking about, I would say all of them. Yeah, ask, the, the Land Rover Range Rovers. Ask Doug Demuro. Yeah, <laughs> there's a reason he made money on that bumper to bumper warranty, guy. and they and they raised the price after that. Yeah, on, on and the they warranties. and they stopped carrying a lot of these. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, you got the Triumph Spitfire. English. Yep. And now we're moving to something that's a little bit different. The only Japanese one on here, isn't this? The yeah. Mazda FBRX7. And here's the reason why. The engine, because it's a Wankel rotary, is two cases that are sealed and put together. And if you, I, I've heard this for years and years. If you ever have to split the cases for an internal engine problem, they never, ever, ever, ever seal back right. Really? Yeah. Guaranteed, so you even drizzle more grease. Yeah, guaranteed oil. oil puke right on your garage floor. Constantly replacing gaskets and things like that just to try to get something to work. Yeah. And, and the last one. The BMW 850i. Uh, a really complex car all the way through. One of those made like more complex for, for the time that it should have been made. Yeah, and just beautiful. All that new technology. It is pretty. I think they're absolutely gorgeous, and people will probably want my head on a pike for this, but I would do an 850i with an LS swap. <laughs> now, the 850i, is that the V12? Uh, yeah. And so that's the same V12 that they put in the McLaren just... Well, the McLaren F1. I mean, obviously it, not the same one, but in, in it's, that it has also had twelve cylinders. Right, right. Well, Aside from that, same, I doubt there's any. It's the same block, pretty much. But they basically redone everything because it's still a Maybe. BMW V12. Only the difference is the 850i's V12 only had like what 300 horsepower. Yeah. Well, I, I'll bet you best. that not many people who uh, who could swing an 850i have McLaren money. And for no, the, no. and the other thing is, eight fifty eyes for a long, long time went down in value, and they were probably close to a hundred thousand dollars new, and they went down and got down into the teens. I'm guessing that equated to a shitload of deferred maintenance on many of them. You know what I thought was kind of interesting about this list, though. Almost everyone. There's a couple. I mean, Range Rovers really aren't that. And the 924 was awesome looking for a Volkswagen, but not necessarily as a Porsche. But they're all really good looking cars. For yeah, their time, yeah, they and are. Then some. They are beautiful cars, uh, but good grief, man! Uh, <laughs> yeah. There's some, uh, ooh, there's some maintenance in there. I wonder if I could do an LS swap in one of the Citrons because I really do. Absolutely. I like the Citrons because they're just goofy Citron as hell. On half. <laughs> <laughs> you might have to do a couple of body mods to a, a, a frame mods to. to uh, yeah, get you it might to have to put a Camaro around. frame underneath it. <laughs> The Citroen is a beautiful car, yeah. But man, you—if you really know a lot about the cars and you're really a, a talented mechanic, it may not be so bad. And they are rewarding to drive. I've reviewed a couple of them. They're fantastic cars to be in. The seats are just amazing. Oh, they are. But oh my Even good lord, are they tough to work on? And they're and it will be frequent. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, w- I would hate to have to deal with some of the stuff that they came up with, like all their air ride suspension and stuff that's like was a one-of-a-kind thing. It's like I can't imagine trying to fix all that well, stuff. Well, and if you uh, – this is something I knew before, but if also if you watch that Grand Tour special and they discuss uh, the suspension work and everything that they did, they said that when they designed the 2CV, they made it so that it could be driven across a plowed – farm field with a basket of eggs sitting mm-hmm. on the passenger seat and not break any of them. So their ride quality is amazing stuff, and, and that's carried through into the subsequent models. But it's a Citroen. You're yeah. Just, why yeah. don't you just go pound that's, yourself in the head with a hammer? <laughs> that's all baloney because I watched the commercials, and it takes a Lincoln to have a little rabbi smashing some diamonds in the back. Just saying. <laughs> I want so you're this Citroen. I, I own a Lincoln. Yeah, so you can carve up the Hope Diamond in the back seat and still have a martini. <laughs> I'm not impressed. Sorry. 
Now I want a martini. <laughs> and a Lincoln. <laughs> I got a Lincoln. Oh, Lincoln. shit, that's right. <laughs> well, I guess we got to My bad. have a martini in the Lincoln. Uh, there you go. A pale shade of green, electric vehicles, and the climate. Brief video from Kite and Key Media examines the effects of electric vehicles on the climate. <laughs> what it unfortunately exposes is that like 80% of the credits that the government did to subsidize people go to people who make over $100,000 a year. The video also states the International Energy Agency says that even if all countries meet their electric car goals, that'll put around 140 million electric vehicles Jesus on the road by 2030. Christ. You know what? Well, it'll reduce wow. carbon Look, emissions by 0.4%. Woo! <laughs> what a winner, a winner. Even the head of the IEA said, and this is a quote, if you think you can, you can save the climate with electric cars, then you are completely wrong, unquote. Now, both of these statements are backed up with citations. Electric vehicles are innovative, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're nearly irrelevant to dealing with climate change. So it makes you uh, wonder why all the manufacturers are rushing to get this stuff in. It's... You know, I, I just got that. I, I read Ayn Rand, Atlas Shrugged, when I was 17, and my eyes bugged. And uh, there's just parts of it that I'm like, who's in bed with who? Because I appreciate the idea. And I even, it's so funny that this article was part of our thing tonight because earlier today I almost posted about the, uh, what, Honda EV, the little bitty kind of buggy kind of Disney looking car that I kind of like. Mm hmm. But, uh, you know, hey, if it's I, really not going to do any good, damn it. I've said before, if I can find a Tesla uh, a Tesla Model S Plaid for a decent price, I'd drive one. And I'll tell you, I'd take a derelict any day of the week. And I... Mr. I, Ward, I love you. I like the <laughs> the big, dumb, Tron-looking Tesla pickup <laughs> they're threatening to come oh, out hells with. yeah. <laughs> and... I've seen several Porsche Taycans now, and they are sexy. And they I, really are good-looking cars. I, I like them. They're not bad. It's not I'd the innovation one. that I mind. Yeah. It's all the claims that are absolute crap that people make about them that I do mind, and that bothers me a lot. And it seems kind of odd to me that within the same five-year span it, that all the American manual well, no, not all of them, not all of them, GM and Ford quit making all their sedans and their and their other cars, and they just went to almost strictly big SUVs and a couple of sports cars. Now, granted, GM kept making hot rod Cadillacs, which I really like, <laughs> but everything else is it, it's Camaros, it's Corvettes, and it's SUVs and oh trucks, and that's it. And then they say, well, we have to meet some kind of corporate annual fuel economy standard. Let's make a bunch of EVs. The whole yeah. thing pisses me off. And what I'm going to do for all you guys, all you people who are out there buying EVs to save the environment, screw you. I'm going to go out in the garage and start that Corvette <laughs> with a side pipe so I can smell the exhaust. Yeah, while I'm smoking a cigar. <laughs> I have some. Gentlemen, it is Christmas. Yeah. See, there you go. Uh, from Haggerty, the 2022 bull market list, 10 collector cars primed to take off this year. This is a great article. It is a lengthy article you really need to go to Haggerty and read this one online because it would take forever for us to go through it uh they've got 10 cars on here they've got their reasons for selecting the 10 cars i'm going to go through and read the 10 then each of us will pick out one that we really like groovy uh 69 to 74 ferrari 246 dinos um those have been high before they took a dip now they're back up again and Haggerty seems to think they're going to keep going 66 to 67 pontiac gto's 92 to 95 Porsche 968 uh, 
they're nine eleven or nine six eight. It kind of looks like a mash between a nine forty four and a nine twenty eight. It's the successor. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, eighty three to ninety seven Land Rover Defenders. Uh, nine, 79 to 85 Mazda RX-7s. Cute little cars. Love those. Almost bought one for myself at one time. 63 to 67 Mercedes-Benz 230 SLs. Another car I like a lot. Uh, 75 to 93 Volvo 245s. This is the brick, kids. It's the square one. Uh, 65 to 70 Cadillac DeVille. Oh, boy. 85 to 95 Suzuki Samurai. And the 2008 to 2012 Tesla Roadster Sport. Oh, the Roadster. Um, yeah. And Ugh. it kind of odd that that would be considered a collector car because it, it, it seems so new. But uh, it that's interesting. Guys, what do you like? Well, the classic side, I'll take the GTO on anything a little bit newer that's on this list, which nothing's really all that new. Probably the Porsche 968. There you go. Uh, I get that. Mr. Mark? I well, which one do you think? Sixty-five to nineteen seventy Cadillac DeVille. That front end, of course, with you that would. just big, just grill. I mean, the headlights are even still on it. They're not even hidden. It's just a massive grill that you could fit an LTD into. I'm not mad yeah, at you. And I, I love I it. I don't disagree. Looking through this, uh, it's it ain't going to be the Tesla. I, I, I do like the RX-7. I still, remember but... when the Suzuki Samurais came out. Boy, yeah. What a little what a little tin. That cup. was my that was my backup choice in case yeah. one of you guys took a Cadillac first. I was going to take no, that I, because I, I think like, they're fun. I like driving the little Samurais. We always used to make the joke about you know they tipped over so easy. We ought to paint one like a die and then go out and <laughs> pull a J turn, see what you could roll <laughs> see with what it. You roll. <laughs> the two forty six Dino is swoopy and pretty and it's got that fantastic styling to it but i really don't think they're worth the three to four hundred thousand dollars uh that they're talking about them now i mean that it just seems like a ton of money for that car honestly my pick is going to be the 63 to 67 mercedes-benz 230 sl the little pagoda convertibles i think those are so classically styled and absolutely beautiful and a very tasteful little convertible. Nice. Um, really, really cool. At any rate, we'll have the link for that on uh, readthedriven.com. Boom. And do yourself a favor. Go read this. It, it's it, Like I said, it's a lengthy read. It's going to take you a little while, but it's really well written, and they lay out the reasons for everything they say. Our special guest this week is artist and racer Christopher Michaels. Christopher will be here to discuss cannonball racing, overlanding, why the KKK hates him, why hookers are better than AAA, and buying super trucks from the DEA. All that is coming up next on Driven Radio. Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from Driven Radio World Headquarters in beautiful Overland Park, Kansas. And it really was today, Mm -hmm. and it's going to be for the next few days. Thank God. Our special guest this week is artist and car maven Christopher Michaels. When Christopher was just 10 years old, he wrote and illustrated a book that netted him enough cash to buy an old farm truck and a dirt bike, thus establishing his love of speed. As an art student at the University of Georgia, he graduated with a degree in computer animation focusing on automotive and motorcycle design. He's been a movie special effects specialist, a self-taught mechanic, custom motorcycle builder and racer, repeat coast-to-coast racer, 
having most recently completed the Musket Ball Half-Baked Sea to Shining Sea Anniversary Trophy Dash. Next time I see John, we're going to have to strangle him for making that title so stinking long. <laughs> oh, yeah, he does it on purpose. He's driven all over North America, the Caribbean, Europe, Africa, South America, and Asia, crossed the Atlantic Circle three times in three different countries, and he's traveled in nearly 60 different countries. Christopher's a repeat offender on Ed Bolian's VinWiki YouTube channel. Christopher, welcome to Driven Radio. Thank you very much. Uh, for editing purposes, you said Atlantic Circle? <laughs> Arct- Arctic, Arctic Circle. Arctic? Arctic Circle. Antarctic. You know what? It won't be the first screw-up I have on this show tonight. Thanks for pointing it out. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I, I, I don't want to be like that guy that's like, uh, actually, but... Uh, He's I'm driven through Atlantic but, City in three different countries. Figure that one out, Jack. I have. I have. I've, I've driven through Atlantic City in three different cars. <laughs> Congratulations on finishing the Musket Ball Half-Baked Sea to Shining Sea Anniversary Trophy Dash. How did you and Ed decide to drive together, and what did you drive? All right. Well, well, thank you for uh, thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, the musket ball uh, that was a a funny one. So the the components in that ride changed so much. I had originally set out to do that to musket ball with a friend of mine. We had a car. The car blew up. We got a different car. That car was not going to make it. I had a car. I decided I did not want to sacrifice. So <laughs> in the middle of this process. Uh, we did finally come up with a fourth car, but then uh, Travis Bell called me up one day and said, hey, you want to come do the musket ball with us? I said, well, I already got a friend of mine going, but yeah, it'd be fun to run alongside. Literally that moment, my friend calls and says, man, I, I feel terrible. Something came up. I cannot do this run. Can you do this drive solo? I said, hey, no problem. I got it covered. So Travis and Ed and I were going to do the musket ball together. So I came, I kind of came in, uh, Ed and Travis were looking for a third. They called me up, said, Hey, you want to run? I was like, hell yeah, let's do it. Then at the last minute, Travis had to dip out because of the ghostbusters movie release. He was making a bunch of the license plates or some kind of promotional. Uh, he has that company that builds, you know, star car license plates, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. So he dipped out. So then it was just Ed and I, then we were going to run it, just tag team it. Then last minute we decided we needed a third guy. So uh, Ed tapped uh, Dan Doucette, who was the guy that did like logistics, traffic cameras, that kind of stuff for Doug and Arnie's record run. So uh, I did not know uh, Dan prior to that, but we all agreed just kind of last minute to get it together. Ed and I kind of tipped around which cars we had access to. He still had, excuse me, he had just sold his Brock Yates Audi. We had access to a couple of Mercedes 300Ds, just some really miserable slow cars. A couple <laughs> ideas back and forth. And finally, we were like, you know what? Screw this. Let's just fly up there. We're both busy. Let's just fly up, rent a car. We'll just do it in the rental. There, You know, the Hyundai Accent, I think the Honda Fit. There's a couple of tiny little cars that are, in fact, sub-100 horsepower cars that are available for rent. So, hey, this is going to be easy. Let's just rent a car. So, yeah, I call up. Uh, actually, Ed called made a reservation uh then last minute we had to change the times of it so i called pretended to be ed called them (laughs) got around the whole reservation thing Uh, back up you held up (laughs) ed's got a really distinctive voice i'm wondering how you're going to pretend to be ed oh well no i i I can't do ed's voice but no not in that capacity no i just called up and just said hey you know i'm business partner we're doing this run and they're like well we can't tell you unless you know what kind of credit card he's got and i remembered Ed and i had gone to lunch one day and he always uses an american express says, oh it's on my american express card 
And they're like, okay, that's good enough. So anyway, they let me to change the reservation. It was no big deal. I talked to this delightful girl named Sunshine, and I was like, okay, Sunshine, here's the deal. We need the slowest car you've got. She's like, oh, no, but if you, you called ahead of time, we can upgrade you to this. Like, no, no, we don't want an upgrade. We need the slowest car you got. Oh, but, but if you, you know, if you come early, you know, we, I bet we have like a, this, I mean, no, no, look, like you remember that it's like that scene in, in coming to America with Eddie Murphy, where he's trying to find like the crummiest apartment the guy's <laughs> yeah. got. Like it was like that. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want the upgrade. I just want the slowest car you have. So I finally explained it to her and without telling her that we needed it for a cross country race, I told her <laughs> that we were like really fuel efficient. We were going to do this thing about, small cars and small engines and fuel efficiency. We needed the tiniest car. And she's like, oh, but the Corolla's got better. I'm like, no. So I literally go like three rounds of sunshine, convincing her that I did indeed want the crappiest car they had. <laughs> so that's all settled. Ed and I get on a plane. Uh, Dan's flying from somewhere. He lives out in Indiana, somewhere Chicago or something like that. Ed and I fly from, from Atlanta. We fly out there. We get to the rental desk in White Plains, New York. And they've given away the Hyundai Accent. And all we got is this Corolla. Now, the Corolla's got like 138 horsepower, which is way over the limit. So we're going to have a car full of lobsters <laughs> trying to run this car. When do you get to say that in a conversation? Like, hey, exactly, so we'd exactly, have to fill with exactly. lobsters. Uh, absolutely. So, uh, you know, so knowing the, uh, knowing the lobster penalty, so knowing the lobster penalty, uh, we were like, okay, look, we got to figure out something. So we're driving from White Plains up to Darien and like we're Googling as we drive, like, you know, what can we do? And I, you know, I'm a fair mechanic. I know I can like unplug a plug wire, yeah. or, you know, put a t-shirt over the air cleaner, do something to choke it out. But you know, that was not really in the spirit that we wanted to do this thing. And we knew some people were going to come with some cheaty cars. We did not want to do that. We really wanted to have a car that was in the spirit of the event. And, you know, so we were thinking like, okay, how are we going to do this? What saved it was that this car had a CVT, a constant velocity transmission, which in addition to being atrocious, fortunately, when we threw it on the dyno, that thing sapped 38 horsepower off of 138. <laughs> no way. No, I'm sorry. I tell oh, you back more than that. Excuse me. That's wrong. That car dynoed at 90 horsepower. So it is <laughs> wow. advertised at 138, dynoed at 90. So we were happy though. So we, we were the we were the happiest two dudes that found out that our transmission was sapping like forty percent of our crank horsepower away. Yeah. Oh my god! CVT so, uh, stands for crappy, very terrible. Oh my god, <laughs> that transmission! But I will have to give them credit though. So we, we get in that car. Uh, you know, we it actually worked out because I mean I'm not the tallest guy. I'm six one. Ed's like six foot thirteen. Dan's about my size. <laughs> we're two like three six foot plus guys in a tiny car cross country. Had we gotten the Hyundai, we would have needed to go to a chiropractor and we were done. The Corolla actually was had some legroom in it. It was a pretty stretchy car. We had room to sleep in the back seat. It actually worked out beautifully. And as miserable of a car as it was from a driving experience, I would have to say from a durability standpoint, I, I got to tip my hat to Toyota. We picked that car up. It was a, 20, it was a 2020 model that already had 53,000 miles on it. <laughs> And this poor little thing, I mean, we got in it. Like our, we decided our team name was going to be Team Collision Damage Waiver. And, <laughs> oh, we have plenty of forms. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So this poor little car, and, and we're looking at the speed rating on the tires, and they're, they're good for like 106 miles an hour, which wasn't going to work. Um, I, I had this funny moment. So I start calling around to tire shops in Darien, Connecticut, seeing if we can find some tires on like a Sunday afternoon 
that would go on this car. <laughs> and again, it's a rental car. car. We're going to donate tires to the cause, whatever. Yeah. So I call around and I had this really funny experience. Uh, so I call up, I, I called one shop. They're like, no, we don't have those tires. Call this other little shop up. I get the guy and, and I was like, look, you know, I need these some tires that'll fit this car. And the guy was like, well, you know, well, you know, oh, but we've got these tires, we've got them in stock, but we, you know, we got, we're kind of busy this day, but you know, we can, we'll upgrade you to a 60,000 mile warranty and this treadwear thing. And I was like, no, nah, I don't need any of that. Oh no, but it's only like a dollar. I was like, look, man, we are literally putting these on a rental car, racing it across country and like ditching it. Like, I, I don't need any of the warranties, any of the longevity, like this is going to be disposable. He's like, you're racing it across country. You mean like what those guys on Benwicky do? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, buddy, it is your lucky day. So I, I told him who we were, and he's all excited. He's like, well, front of the line, we got a set of tires waiting. I'll sell them to you at cost, et cetera, et cetera. Aww. Super nice guy. I can't remember his name now. And and then, <laughs> it, then we ended up getting caught up in the dyno thing. Took way longer, and we ran out of time. We ended up not getting the tires. And I have to find this oh, guy and give him a shout out. Ben Week. He was a super sweet guy. But we ultimately just decided to run it with the balding aged 106 mile an hour speed rated tires we had lordy so it it, it, it did fine though it did fine with that car had a 108 mile an hour speed limiter on it and we pretty much just drove it on that the entire the way across (laughs) (laughs) i love it and it it didn't do great but it just kept coming back for more you know it would do this really annoying thing it would hit 108 and it would just sort of do this little surging thing and it only got like i think maybe 18 19 miles a gallon at that speed which was fairly good but because we could not we were all topping the speed out every time we drove it just pegging it so the game became like which one of us in the car who could get the worst mileage while you were driving it that became the measure of like how how aggressive are you driving is how bad you're feeling about you know you'd be asleep in the back seat somebody'd be like hey wake up wake up i got it below 17 look 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 so so anyway we, we just had a great time you know we get up there the night before you know do the do the dyno thing of course you know people are people are kind of looking at like oh they got a rental car you know we immediately got called out for a dyno challenge because they just assumed that we were gonna people are googling the car oh you know, ed and christopher got this rental car it's got 138 horsepower they're gonna cheat blah 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 so we get called out, put on the dyno, and that poor little CVT just couldn't keep up, and it dynoed at 90, and we were exonerated of any suspicion <laughs> that we were running a cheaty car, and we did not have a fuel cell. This thing had like an 11-gallon fuel cell on it. it must be the same one they put in Prius or something. So <laughs> tiny fuel cells. So here oh, we are, like three dudes in a rental car going to race across the country in a car getting 18 miles a gallon with an 11-gallon fuel cell. <laughs> so this does not this is we are not going to be in the lead i'm a going, so i'm going to assume that that was the worst part of driving that car it, it kind of was but we had fuel stops down to a science after a few though we would uh we would take turns driving each person would drive one tank of fuel out which at those speeds and that fuel capacity was roughly two hours 200 miles so the way we would do it is you know one guy sleeps one guy's spotting, one guy's driving. So the driver would rotate to the spotter position. Spotter would rotate to sleep, wake up from sleeping, drive, kind of be fresh. That way, whoever's spotting had just driven the previous two hours. They would kind of know more traffic or, hey, there's a cop around here, whatever. So the, the, the fire drill with pulling into a gas stop, we would, you know, look up on Google, find a gas station that is like on the right where we don't have to like, you know, go a half mile up, do a U-turn in front of Target, get back on the highway. You know, we were finding a gas stop that was – going to be fast big stations etc we google map it look it up on google earth etc 
we would come like screaming in as the car is coming to a stop spot or already have the doors open. They're out of the car. They sprint in to use the restroom, grab a snack, whatever driver hops out, sticks his credit card in, starts fueling. The moment that somebody from the, one of the two guys that ran inside is coming out, lays eyes on the car driver runs in to hit the bathroom. The next guy driving comes up, finishes fueling. The next spotter is there, like checks the tires, checks the hood, looks make nothing's leaking, feel the hub, nothing's hot, we're all good. Driver up next is in the car already, leaves the other two doors open, pulls out. The other two come running out of the gas station, jump in the car as it's moving. We probably thought we made people think we had just robbed the store or something because we were like (laughs) peeling out of there with the doors open. But we had, but we, I mean, like Red Bull F1 team had nothing on us when it came to pit stops. Like we were, we had this down to a science. So, but, but backing up a little bit. So we go back to the Le Mans start behind the good wives, which is just hysterical. You know, it's 20 something cars full of guys all running, getting in, peeling out at the same time. We may, I drove first. We may or may not have had some contact with the bus, not the, not the, the, the short bus. Um, but I, that happened because I was behind my buddy Rusty. Rusty had that golf livery Fiat, which was just fantastic. So I wanted to film him as we were all leaving out. So, you know, we all run a bunch of red lights, and it's only like a mile or so out of the interstate. We all hit the interstate. And by chance, like, you know, we're all coming down the ramp at the same time. I see a gap in traffic, kind of dip down the little incline a little bit go all the way to the left. And we actually led the musket ball in this car for just a few miles before I, I think it didn't take, but a few miles before uh, Bradley and David come by and the Jetta with the uh, organ transplant livery on it. They come blowing by us <laughs> in, in like in the bonus lane, you know, they're, they're gone. So, so we take off and, and again, with all the fuel stops and the car and everything else, we just assume we're going to be in the back. We just, we were kind of running it ceremoniously anyway. Everybody else had fuel cells. Everybody else had, you know, better equipped cars, faster top speeds, et cetera. So we're like, you know what? Let's just run, have fun. We'll do our thing. So, you know, a few field stops in, we're still in the first five or six people. And a few more field stops in, like we're still in the first four or five people. And we knew the other groups had fuel cells, but we were just getting really some lucky breaks in traffic. You know, Ed and Dan and I all drive very similarly, same level of risk, same level of attack. You know, nobody wants to go to jail. We're not doing anything real crazy. So, you know, but we just, we were all very good at like timing a gap, for example. So like if you come up on two trucks going up a hill and you're stuck behind one at 65 miles an hour, well, these slow cars take miles to build that speed back. So, you know, you'd see the trucks happening, you know, we'd dial it back to, you know, 89, you know, to, I don't know, 95, 98 miles an hour, something like that and time it so that we could keep that speed and just keep our moving average up around a hundred, 105. Whereas some of the other teams who had faster cars would, you know, run up behind a slow car, lose all their speed and have to earn it back over the next five miles. And we would just coast through. So we just had a, a ball, uh, the Citron that got fifth place. Uh, we got next to them in probably like Indianapolis and just kept mixing it up with them, trading the lead back all the way. But we did have a really funny encounter with them back in Pennsylvania. We were coming down through the mountains. I think it was Pennsylvania, Northern Ohio, Western somewhere anyway somewhere with mountains six one so somewhere yeah exactly so we are you know we'd pulled off for fuel we'd mixing up door to door then we pulled off for fuel they had a cell and they kept going we get back on the road i'm driving again and we're, we're hauling ass and just you know the, great time in the curves you know we're just apex and turns i'm doing it like i'm racing motorcycles you know just swinging wide clipping the apex etc you know no no crazy passes but traffic is pretty light we got a little bit of snow 
So everybody else kind of slowed down, stuck to the right lane in the snow, which let us just take the left lane and just keep going. And and th- th- this is one of those moments that really makes like musket ball and transcon so fun. And I'm so glad that that John did this Lamont start because it put us all in a group and and it was kind of like with the bandit run or the, the Southern classic, it's called like you, you go out on the same road and you come back the same road. So you pass everybody like interacting with the other participants is the most fun part of it. So this is one of the really great moments. So we, we catch up with the Citron. We're on this big, long downhill about to go into a single lane construction zone for who knows how many miles they're already they've already tucked in behind a car or a truck or something some flatbed truck i think they already tucked in behind the truck and we could take them on the right we were coming downhill at speed we're going to get them on the right so last second we we're going to time this perfectly and just tuck in in front of them in the truck lose them the construction site haha well <laughs> they saw us coming about 300 yards back they're probably going 70 we're going 180 and last minute, they get over and just block us. And that wasn't like close, but we're on the brakes pretty hard, you know, throttle off over to the rear and gets a little light. You know, it wasn't a nothing dangerous, but it was just, again, this sort of rivalry that we're all enjoying. So, so they block us for a second. Now we're all in a line behind this truck going through this construction zone at like 65, 70 miles an hour. So we're driving along and, and, and you know, we're all, you know, flipping each other off and waving at each other <laughs> and flashing headlights and just cutting up. And uh, Ed said, Ed's in the spotting in the passenger seat. Ed says, you know, I think they need a bump. And I was like, <laughs> okay, we can do that. So, so we start creeping closer and closer and we get like just days of thunder style. We're just an inch off their back bumper. And, and finally just kind of ease into contact. It was like so gentle. I don't think they even noticed it first. And then I just started like swerving them back and forth, kind of using the two bumpers to just kind of upset the rear of their car and just giving them a little tail wag. So we're just like fishtailing them and, and being just irritating. Again, we're all just messing around going, when you've been driving 108 miles an hour for the last four hours, you know, 75 feels like a walking speed. So we're cutting up and just wagging their tail and, and, and they don't seem to be reacting to that a whole lot. So we start pushing them. So we start pushing them towards the truck. Now we're not going to push them into the truck, but we're just getting a little closer. And, and finally I backed off about six feet and just gave him one good bump. And about that moment, sunroof opens up we're like what are they doing and mark spence dumps their entire pee bottle out of the sunroof <laughs> oh just, just gooshes it all over our car you know and and you know so just antics like that you know we we traded paint with them one more time in southern california it just it just became this race between us and the citron for like fourth place so we are just dicing it up fourth place all across the country uh i'm driving again now not that i guess everything just seemed to happen on my driving shift in this trip. Not that I did a better job. I just happened to catch all the weird luck. So I've almost finished my driving stint and we're somewhere between like St. Louis and Joplin, just kind of out in like Dirtball County, Missouri. I don't know where, you know, Missouri loves company uh, somewhere in Missouri. <laughs> so I think he's talking about your hometown, Mark. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> oh, sorry. No offense. No offense. But uh, nonetheless, you got to um, dig deeper to do that. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right, all right. So, so we are hustling along and it's, it's, I don't know what time it is at this point, two, three in the morning, probably. And we're driving along and Ed and I both, again, I'm driving Ed spotting again. And we both noticed like the radar detector has been like super quiet, you know, and we look on, 
we have a little app where we can all track each other as like little dots, you know, so we can kind of see when we're coming oh, up on cool. somebody or yeah. somebody needs help or something, you know, how to find them. We all have this little, we're all this little series of dots. So we look and David and Bradley are in first place about maybe 30 minutes ahead of us Ooh. with the second place team, uh, the, the gumball guy, not gumball, the gambler guys are a little bit behind them. So they're kind of trading back for like first and second place. Somebody on Northern Roots kind of in third, and we're dicing up for fourth place. So they're all up ahead. We find out that David and Bradley had just gotten pulled over like 30 minutes ahead of time for like 111 and a 60. But oh. exactly. But the cop bought the organ transplant thing. <gasps> no. <laughs> they, they did. I mean, now, now these guys, now David and Bradley went all out. And David and Bradley are, are two of my very best friends. They, they went all out. They had, they had graphics on the car. They had like three different phone numbers. Like they had, they had fake paperwork. They were transporting his heart. Oh, they wow. had like, like, like David's girlfriend was like, had like three different Google numbers. And if somebody called the Connecticut number, she pretended to be the medical center there. If somebody oh, called the organ transplant company car, she answered that one. If they called the UCLA number, she answered as UCLA. David and Bradley had scrubs. They had fake. Uh, Timothy, the sticker guy, made them like fake hospital IDs. They had a red Yeti cooler with human organ transplant and all like an iPad and all these stickers and like like a digital thermometer and like a pig heart in there with like electrodes hooked to it. Oh, they like had they an actual went, heart oh, in it. I, I believe so. I never actually even laid eyes on it. That was the point. So anyway, they have thought of everything. The cop actually buys the story. Oh, good Lord. Let's them go. So we're, we're having a laugh about that. Ed and I are driving along and we notice, like, man, the, you know, the radar detector, which is usually you get little ghost blips and little chirps out of it, yeah. you know, not a yeah. full signal, but you're always getting the static, nothing. Like the radar detector has just been dead quiet. We're like, man, this is awesome. There is nobody out here. So we are, again, door to door with the Citron, 108 miles an hour. They had a little more top speed than we did, but they kept getting stuck behind a truck. So they'd get, they'd blast past us. They'd get stuck behind a truck. We would time it as soon as they got from around the truck. We would come in with 30 more miles an hour past them. It'd take them five miles to catch up. This is just our little rhythm that we have fallen into. So we are at this point door to door with the Citron. We top the hill. There are cop cars everywhere. There's like two on either side of the road under the bridge. There's one up on the bridge. There's one kind of behind me. I'm already getting off for a fuel stop anyway. They get right behind me. Blue lights come on. Everybody gets pulled over. We're like, crap. Like, like I'm thinking, okay, minimum they're going to get us for racing and triple digit speeds. So the police officer comes up to my car, uh, to my door. Uh, you know, Ed and I are sitting there. We had a really funny picture of me and Ed sitting there, you know, videoing with the cop behind us. So the uh, David had already described this police officer. You know, he had like you know, big guy, bald head, porno mustache. Like it's the same <laughs> cop. So he walks up to me like completely transactionally. Like again, we are in a car. We've got Vin Wiki stickers and musket ball stickers all over it. It's got big like musket ball meatballs on the doors. It's got all these stickers from sponsors and other people like that all over it. It looks like a Mexican taxi. Like it's just <laughs> completely obvious that we are racing with the Citroen. You know, we got radar detectors and stuff all over the dashboard. Citroen's got the same stuff. There's no way we're talking way out of this. So the cop walks up to my car. He's just like, license registration, please. You're going 102 and a 70. I'll be back with your citation. Walks yeah. away, like zero opportunity to try to like charm my way out of this to bribe him with some beef jerky. I did try to bribe him with Ed's beef jerky, but it, it didn't work. <laughs> so, you know, we sit there on the side of the road for like 16 minutes. I get the ticket. He lets us go. Nobody gets busted for racing. 
We pull out, get on the other side of the bridge. Citron's there. Citron driver is in handcuffs. We are like, oh, no, like they're going to jail. Now, we're, of course, glad we didn't go to jail, but we're still feeling really bad for these guys. So come to find out later that so the cop pulls David and Bradley over, lets them go, but it's like something's fishy. And he he looked on the David had a VinWiki sticker on the back of the car. And the cop starts Googling stickers and he Googles VinWiki and he finds Ed's live stream from that morning when no, we were all no, no, and saw no. the, the organ transplant car and us and the Citron saw everybody on the live stream. So so what did happen? Yeah. Exactly. So they sprung the trap that we landed in. So now they know what's up. So there's no chance. What they literally done is like they all set up, turned all the radar detectors off. And when we topped the hill, they just nailed us with Instadon and we were toast. So us and the Citron got tickets, but they didn't arrest us. And that was pretty cool. And, you know, ticket clinics going to help us out and try to get us off the hook with this one. So that, that was really cool. <laughs> so anyway, so mayhem continues. We continue to race across the country with impunity, you know, hit Albuquerque about sunrise, you know, desert sunrises are beautiful, you know, drive through the desert day. It's a gorgeous day of driving. Traffic's pretty light. I uh, had a good time in Flagstaff. We picked up some VinWiki fans that I guess either knew we were coming or just happened to spot us or something. So they followed us literally from like Flagstaff to Barstow, like wow. five or six hours video and us, you know, pulling next to video and Ed, et cetera. They even took a ticket for us in Southern California. I think Ed's going to hook them up with some t-shirts or something. So these guys like, anyway, it was, it was pretty cool. We blew past the CHP. He was trying to get to us. They were in the road. He finally pulled them over. We got away. So there were some fans took one for the team for us. And that was really awesome. That's that's unbelievable. Cool. But, wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. So we just had the best time and you know, we're, we're mixing up with the Citron again. Finally, we knew we were going to have to stop for fuel at some point because we were going to like coast into the Portofino on vapors. We're like, well, man, but if we, we were mixing up with them, we knew they had enough fuel to get in. If we stop for fuel, we're done. So like, what are we going to do? So we had this idea of like, okay, look, this will be really arrogant, but like, let's get online, find some fans, find somebody to like wait for us, like at the exit ramp and just dump like a gallon of fuel in our tank. <laughs> we pull away. Like, like, can, can we do, you know, and we ultimately decided that was just going to be too hard to wrangle. So we, we pulled off, got like one gallon of gas, got back on the road, never saw the Citron. We're like, Oh, well, we're, we're fifth place. As we get off the expressway, like sun's just going down, you know, LA traffic's just, just starting to die off. We get off the expressway and next to us in traffic is the Citron. Like we're at a red light. Like we look over at them, they look at us <laughs> and it becomes this like sprint to the finish line. And like 2,904 miles of racing. That's just a little different because it's a good wives. Anyway, <laughs> roughly 3,000 miles of racing and it comes down to like the last 30 seconds. Yeah. The last That's corner. Crazy. And we get like they're running Apple Maps and Waze. We're running Google Maps and Waze. We got to this one intersection. Their Apple Maps said go right. Waze said straight. They gambled, went one way. Ed's done this enough times. He knew the way by heart. So we beat him there by like 30 seconds, which was just oh. extra heartbreaking to them. Like it was like if you, you know, if you lose about an hour and a half, you're like, okay, well, I wasn't going to get it anyway. But like when you are that close. Oh, and ironically, the, not ironically, coincidentally, I guess. The 17-minute traffic stop that we had, we were 16 minutes off a of third place. We would have podiumed, 
in the rental car with no fuel cell had we not gotten that ticket so oh, we were close <laughs> but it was just exciting it was so exciting to just do it and and again you know you win a two dollar trophy made out of dollar store stuff that john glued together and spray painted gold like there's there's no payoff for this other than hanging out with your friends and you know, we all showed up the portofino and just camped out there for like a day and a half and, you know it's a couple of the people that broke down you know steve and those guys the minivac some of them didn't even get there for like two days you know so we're waiting around my buddy rusty took the northern route they got caught in some tra- traffic for an accident they didn't get in until like you know two in the morning so a bunch of us stayed up and i wanted you know it's really exciting to get there and have everybody there cheering you on i didn't want him to go through all that show up you know with nobody there so we rally a bunch of people every time somebody was coming in we'd all run out and cheer for them and you know it was just the camaraderie the friendship of doing this you know you're either going to crash or go to jail or get a ticket it's expensive you're not going to win anything like the only payoff is just doing it and hanging out with your friends but it's just it's so fun and it's such a diverse group of people and it's just one of the greatest experiences that southern classic these transcon events you know setting a record's one thing it's just you and a couple of people and you leave on a time and it's you all by yourself it's that's much more of a you know man versus the world i'm going to climb mount everest kind of thing But the events where everybody's running at once is just like a sleepover in the seventh grade where you're somebody (laughs) sneaks in a playboy and you're staying up late watching music videos. Like it's just so much fun. And just the cutting up and and all the cutting up we did with the Citron that was going to gone with other cars in the event. Like somebody had a radar gun for like a baseball pitching and like they were like radar and people and somebody else like called in a called somebody else and said man we just heard you in the police scanner somebody called you in you need to get off the road and hide <laughs> you know, they blow by. like the the pranking the general goofing off and you know it, it's exactly like it's just like in cannonball run like when they kidnap the sheik and everybody bonds together to go rescue him like there's that level of camaraderie and the group and that is the best part it's just you know i i've I've been a car guy my whole life. I was not on the football team. I was not in the military. I've not had those type of experiences where I had a team or or I was part of a larger thing. It's always been, you know, me racing a motorcycle, me drag racing a car, me racing a sports car, me driving to the dark circle, me doing it, you know, whatever it is I'm doing, it's going to be like, you know, me or one other person doing it in a unit. But this is, this is where I found my team this is when you've got you know 50 dudes that are and girls that are all for the cause all for each other everybody wants everybody to win everybody wants everybody else to succeed like there's such a love between everybody in it and it's just such a fantastic thing to be a part of i'm just so thankful to have forced got my way into this world of transcon (laughs) racing because it's to the outside you know it's like this glass ceiling like you find out about these things after they happen you, it's like Fight Club. You don't get to do it unless you know unless somebody invites you in. Like it's there's. I feel so fortunate because I know was once one of these guys that saw all these guys setting these records, doing this stuff, and you're like, man, how do I get into this? How do I? I don't know anybody. Like how do you? Like it was just this secret society, and I, I feel so fortunate to have become part of that secret society and to get to participate. Yeah. Such a good time, and I encourage anybody that can drive a car do one of these if you ever get a chance they are so much fun or if not do one on your own. uh let's talk about something much less wholesome <laughs> <laughs> all right why does the klu klux klan hate you <laughs> oh man well i mean number one they hate me because i do not support 
their ideals in any way. I think they're a bunch of assholes. But, no, I have a long-standing rivalry with the Ku Klux Klan that goes back all the way to 1990. Oh, wow. Oh, damn. So, um, yeah, so I am in high school. I'm 16 years old. Now, I went to school in this tiny little town with a bunch of people who were just a bunch of rednecks, and there was the Ku Klux Klan and just a bunch of bumpkins. Not everybody, but just, just by and large, it was this little little redneck town, with a lot of racism there, and, and I was not a part of that at all. I did not get down with that. So I'm driving a 1963 Buick LeSabre Lowrider, you know, spoke wheels, white walls, <laughs> you know, thumping, you know, rap music out of the back. You know, I'm a jerk. So I'm driving this thing around. And one day I'm on my way home from work after school and I get to like, like you've been one of those intersections where like the Shriners are taking up money for like the children's hospital, that sort of thing. And they walking up down the road with the feds, getting money in the bucket, that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it was just like that, except the Ku Klux Klan were there taking up money. <laughs> and this kind of thing went on in some of these little towns. So, you know, imagine like a four-way stop out in the country, a couple of cars lining up. You know, it's late in the afternoon. It's 5, 30 in the afternoon, you know. Uh, you know, cars going through. So I'm about to be up next, and the guy's walking around. Now, they don't have, like, the scary pointy hats with the hoods on. They got the robes, but not the hats. Or if they had the hat on, they have to, like, flip the face up. They can't, like. They weren't allowed to just be out there like full ghost style. So the guy's walking around and I'm sitting there in the car and he looks at me and I, you know, I'm just a, you know, white kid in an old classic car. Obviously he assumes I'm part of his cause and, and I'm not. So, you know, he kind of looks at me and kind of holds the bucket out and I just kind of shake my head. No, he kind of, you know, is walking towards me still, you know, he's like, you know, you know, bucket, you know, kind of shakes the bucket a little more intently. And I'm like, no, you know, and he's like, you know, look closer now. He's like, you know, bucket boy. And, and I, I flipped him off. So he kicked the bumper of my car. Well, you know, I'm 16. When you're 16 years old, you don't have a sense of consequence. You don't have a sense of the fact that, you know, I'm a live in a town of 1,500 people and I'm the only kid driving a lowrider. Like, are they going to find me? Yes, they're going to find me again. Like, there's no anonymity in a town that small. But still, you know, he kicks my car. I'm proud of my car. So I forget this mess. It's my turn to four-way stop anyway. He kicks my car, so I just punch it. And that Buick had a 425 Wildcat motor in it. It's about a 370 horsepower motor. So, you know, lights up the rear tires. And on the Buicks back in the day, you know, the the side view mirrors were kind of forward on the door, kind of out there by the windshield, kind of European style. And they kind of stuck out to the side of the car a little bit. Well, I didn't try to run the guy over. He was already beside my car. But as I punched it, rear end of the car steps out a little bit. And that mirror hooked the sleeve of his Ku Klux Klan pajamas. (laughs) And just cartwheeled that son of a bitch right down the side of my car. Just woo-woo-woo. It was like it was like running through a laundry line. It was just woo-woo-woo, just white claw down the side of the car. So you know, I'm peeling out. You know, I smoke rubber all through. You know, burn rubber all the way through the intersection. I look back in the mirror. You know, and he's all laying in the ground, all arms and legs, the hats falling off. His buddies are picking him up. You know, and I'm like, ha ha, showed that guy. You know. Again, being 16, not thinking of consequences. So I go on home, and I'm like, yeah, what a jerk, you know, whatever. So that's like, I don't know, like a Thursday, I think. So, you know, being an old hot rod car, the the radiator in that thing was terrible. And there was a little radiator shop in town. It was always overheating. So I took it there for the weekend. They were going to, like, boil the radiator out. They would take your radiator out, and they'd run it through this chemical bath with some kind of crap that's supposed to let all get all the crud out from the veins inside, kind of help it work a little better. So anyway – 
the car sits that weekend, just set all weekend long in the lot for this little radiator shop. Monday morning, I mean, you know, Monday comes along. I get, a, I go to school on the bus. Buddy of mine drops me off at the radiator shop after school on Monday. Car's ready to go. I'm excited. Pay the man, get in the car, make a right turn out of the shop onto the highway, get up to speed about, I don't know, 55, 60 miles an hour, and something just doesn't feel right. The car's got a kind of a weird kind of vibration to it. The steering wheel doesn't feel right. Something's not right. So I ease on the brakes, and the moment I did, the steering wheel just wrenches to the right, and the car goes right off the road, hits a telephone pole, could not have centered it any better if I had tried. Just totals the car into the telephone pole, you know, pop my thumbs out of socket, steering wheel knocks much of my teeth out. You know, I got a lap Holy belt, but no cow. shoulder belt, you know, totals the car messes me up pretty badly. Uh, you know, I, I'm, you know, of course I'm devastated cause I've got, you know, I, I bought this car for $300 from my algebra teacher. I'd spent a year. I, I say restoring it in air quotes, meaning that I got a bunch of spray paint from Western auto and some body filler <laughs> and had been filling in dents, you know, it was my attempt at a restoration at 16 years old. I'm devastated. I got liability insurance on this thing. The car is a write-off. So I'm devastated. I'm, you know, again, in the little town, of course, a crowd quickly appeared. You know, my mom comes by on her way home from the grocery store and she comes up on the accident scene. Uh, you know, everybody's there. Cops are there, whatnot. There was a guy at my church that drove the tow truck in town. Of course, he comes along to scene too. And he towed me off the telephone pole for free and all that. And, uh, as we're towing the car off, um, you know, my mom's there. She's upset. You know, I knew something bad was going to happen to you today. Like, well, why didn't you tell me? Like, <laughs> where were you? So, so anyhow, so as, as the car gets towed off the telephone pole, the, the front wheels are just wobbling around like a grocery cart. And the tow truck driver by the name of Carl, uh, Carl motions me over. Of course, I'm hobbling all over there. I got like a handkerchief stuck in my mouth because my teeth are missing. I'm covered in blood and you know, pretty banged up and everything. And I wobble over there and he's like, take a look at this. The tie rod end had been hacksawed like almost all the way through, like just enough to like get it out of the parking lot. Wow. And somebody had hacksawed through my steering. Now, again, I'm 16 years old. I'm a nerdy dorky kid in a tiny town. Like it's not like the NSA has got a hit out on me or I've got some mafia knowledge. I'm nobody obviously somebody from that experience out there at the four-way stop driving through town late that night oh there's that car that ran over billy bob and they must have snuck out there with a hacksaw and sabotaged that thing and uh, that was one of many reasons that me and the Ku Klux clan never got along and of course i'm 48 now so that was 32 years ago but but i still miss that car unbelievable so going back to being less wholesome Tell us why roadside service from a hooker is better than the the triple A. Wow, that that was one of my very first Finwick stories, and it, it really went over well. And I had such a good time sharing that one. Yeah, that was just a funny day. Um, uh, yeah, hookers are good roadside service because you know they're nice people. They work hard. They, you know, it's been my experience all over the world. The people that are some of the hardest working people in the world the people that have suffered the most, the people that have felt the most ostracized from society are the very first people to help somebody else out in need. You know, they've been there. They understand. They wish somebody give them that hand sometimes too. So 
so the short version is I have this, uh, I have a 1980 international scout. It's the pickup truck. So it's like the long wheelbase truck cab, funky old truck. I love this thing. So I used it off road pretty hardcore. You know, it had locking differentials, roll cage. It was set up like a rock crawler. So I beat on it pretty hard. I was going somewhere in it one day. It was cold. It was wintertime. I don't know where I was going. But anyway, I am driving it. I make a, a left turn onto kind of a main road and immediately just the bam, you know, big loud noise, just clanging cacophony underneath the truck. I know immediately I have broken a drive shaft U joint. You know, that thing didn't have real big U joints anyway. And when you're driving off road, you bang on them and tweak on stuff. And eventually U joints go out. I knew this one was clicking. I had been ignoring it, meaning to get to it. Needless to say, the it was the front U joint on the rear drive shaft. Oh, so that just snapped. Tried so, to turn it so, into yeah. a pogo stick. <laughs> well, did, yes, yeah, normally yes. It did not pogo stick it, but it was still attached to the rear axle though. So every time the wheels turned, it was just wow, whipping around like some yeah. kind of wacky snake. I mean, it was just every time the wheels turned, it would just go like you know frame frame ground frame. It was just bam 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 whipping around at the truck. So I'm like, oh crap! Now, you know, I got a, a ton of flack when I this in the comment section on VinWiki because I was like, oh you idiot, why didn't you just unbolt the U joint? Well, on the scouts, the rear yoke you don't unbolt the you don't unbolt the yoke from the shaft on that particular truck. You had to press it out it's with a bunch and a hammer. You had to press out the U joint. So I couldn't just pull the drive shaft on the side of the road. Now I did have the tools with me to do that, but I'm in not a great neighborhood. It's kind of a main road. There's not like really there's not a sidewalk or anything. There's not a much of a there's no like emergency lane or anything. Like I'm kind of exposed. I'm like, look, I just need to get this truck somewhere where I can work on it that is not on this main road. So I, I grabbed some ratchet straps, I get up underneath it, and the, the drive the as the drive shaft whipped around, it took out the brake lines, it took out the parking brake. <laughs> like now I, I had a the, the truck's got a proportioning valve for the brake lines. So like if I'm off road and I want to like disengage one of the axles and put all the brakes on one wheel if i'm going to go like say i'm going to go down a really steep hill i'll dial all the braking back to the rear axle leave the front free where i can still steer you know it just it gives me some options so with the proportioning valve i just before it finished bleeding out i turned all the brakes to the front axle so i still had brakes but i've got no parking brake no rear brakes nothing like that all right so i get up underneath it with some ratchet straps i kind of kind of triangulate the drive shaft with the with the ratchet strap so that when it spins in place it'll kind of not you know it won't whip all underneath the truck and beat the crap out of everything so i triangulate the drive shaft so it'll kind of hold it in place and i'm just going to put it in four-wheel drive put it on the front axle just limp it about a mile to not even a mile half mile to my wife at the time the parking lot where she worked she worked in a medical office it wasn't far away i'll just limp it down there i'll work on the parking lot that way, my feet won't get run over. I won't get robbed, et cetera. So I start limping my way down the road. And it's just getting dark, and I'm limping my way down. And this this ratchet strap situation only works for about 50 feet at a time, maybe 100 feet before it starts banging around. I got to stop. Well, the problem was, you know, I don't have I don't have any parking brake. It's a manual transmission truck. I don't exactly trust this transmission to stay in gear. And it's a, it's a diesel, and to shut it off, you got to pull a fuel lever out, hit the glass. It's a pain to restart and crank this thing every time. Plus, I don't, you know, I'm like, look, I'm just going to, like, you know, crank it over against the curb, get out, you know, use, like, use the curb like a wheel chop, get out, do the ratchet straps, back it up. It's just an arduous process. So I'm 
limping my way down. And there's this hooker who's walking down the street, going the same direction I am, and me driving, getting out, doing the straps, driving, getting out, doing the straps. I'm about the same pace as this hooker. Well, I'm under the truck yet again, and I, I hear footsteps here, kind of crunch of gravel, and I look, and there's just this pair of white go-go boots just standing there. Like, I'm under the truck. All I can see is her feet. There's just this white pair of go-go boots. And I get out from under the truck, and she's standing there, kind of look, not only looking at me, just looking at the truck. And it's got, you know, a roof tent on the top. It's got a snorkel. It's white with a big orange stripe on it. There's sand ladders and jerry cans and winch cables and all this shit all over it, you know, from rock crawling off road. And she's kind of got her hand on her hip and she's looking at the truck, kind of squinting like she recognizes it. She's like, this looks like crocodile hunters truck, which is <laughs> hilarious. Cause imagine this <laughs> hooker and go-go boots going on and watching crocodile hunter was a hilarious idea anyway. So uh, she's like, this looks like crocodile hunters truck. What are you doing? Well, I told her, you know, drive shaft broke, et cetera. I'm trying to get down the street here, this place. And she's like, well, can I help you? I was like, well, and, and uh, excuse me, a little bit of backstory. I lived in Athens, Georgia. And Athens, Georgia is a small town, but it's got a lot of features that a bigger town tended to have. So we only had about 10 homeless people and a couple of hookers and a few of these different fringe of society people, a few of them enough that you knew them and you recognized them. You know, there was... You know, Jazzy J was one of the homeless guys. He would always like rapping and trying to tell you had a rap career. You always have these like really specific dollar amounts he needed. He'd be like, "Hey man, hey man, I need a dollar eighty-seven to get my baby out of the hospital." Or, "Hey, I need two dollars and twelve cents to finish my recording contract." Like he'd always have these crazy number ideas he wanted. <laughs> there was another guy that wore this like brown bathrobe around him, and he walked around town, and we called him Homeless Jedi. Like they always had these different <laughs> names and there, were, and, and there were a few hookers that hung out in this one particular area of town and you'd see them occasionally nobody knew their name but somebody knew somebody you know my wife at the time worked in the er at the hospital previously and so a lot of these people would come in occasionally and i knew of this hooker her name was diamond she went by diamond bracelet was the name she put <laughs> on her paperwork when she was a frequent flyer in the er where my wife worked wow so again she's one of the few people in town so i recognized it, it this is it's diamond i've heard about her so diamond always wore white kind of dallas cowboy cheerleader kind of thing but she had more of a jack a from 227 thing going on about her <laughs> but um Anyway, so so she's standing there, go go boots, and she recognized the truck, and, and she's like, "Well, you know, can I can I help you somehow?" I was like, "Well, Miss Diamond, thank you so much." And and honestly, like I'm probably I don't know thirty ish at the time, early thirties. She's probably not much older than me, but but as I guess, I, I guess in this sort of respectful way, I'm calling her Miss Diamond, kind of like you refer to like your mother's older friend or your Sunday school teacher, you know, Miss Claire, Miss So and So. Well, well, Miss Diamond, thank you very much. Uh, Actually, there is something you can do. I said, we're going about this. We're going the same direction. We're going about the same pace. Goes, oh, yeah, I'm just going down that way. I'm going home. It's been a slow day, and it's cold out here, and I'm going home. So, okay, well, well, you you live right about where I'm going. I said, tell you what, since you're walking anyway, every time I stop, if you would just put these wheel chocks under my front tire so I can hop out and attach these straps without having to crank the truck over to the curb and do all that nonsense, then that'd be great. She said, oh, I'll be happy to. So sure enough, I gave her these two yellow wheel chocks out of the back of the truck. I used them for winching and stuff like that out in the woods. 
I give her these two wheel chocks and she just walking down the street in her high heel go-go boots and I'm limping along next to her. And every time I'd stop, she'd run out and chalk the wheels and I'd get out and do the straps and I'd back up and she'd go grab the ratchet straps and I'd limp it along and she'd walk along. And we just did this all the way down the road till I got to my wife's job. And, and she'd been real sweet about it. And, and, and I, I get to the parking lot. She follows me into the parking lot. I said, well, Ms. Diamond, I, I made it here. Thank you so much. Uh, is there anything I could do for you? And I, and obviously I felt like I should give her some cash or something, but, even though I've been married four times, I'm smart enough to know that I should not be seen giving money to a known hooker in my wife's parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I didn't feel comfortable giving her money. She's like, no, baby, that's okay. I'm glad I can help you. I'll just live right up here. I'm going to go on home. I was like, well, well, thank you so much. You're really sweet. So I, you know, I kind of gave her a nice little side hug and she, she walked on up the street and I, and I proceeded to finish, you know, I got at the punch, got out the hammer and you know, took the drive shaft out and just threw it in the back and just drove the truck home on the front axle. But I thought about Diamond from then on out. I didn't see her for a long time. And I thought that was just a really sweet thing to do. You know, there was no motivation whatsoever. She wasn't trying to sell me her services or anything at all. She was just a person out doing her thing and yeah. took time out of her day to help another person who was obviously having a rough day. And I thought that was really sweet. And, and again, Athens is a small town. It wasn't much later than that, maybe four or five months later. I'm at like a Moe's burrito, whatever the little Moe's burrito place is, little chain, whatever. I'm there buying lunch one day. And behind me in line, sure enough, is Diamond. Now, she's got her civilian clothes on. She's got like some, you know, sweatsuit on. She doesn't have her wig or any of that kind of stuff on. She is in her civilian clothes, standing behind me in line at Moe's. And I turn around. I recognize her. I think about it for a second. Go, yeah, yeah that's her. And I said, uh, excuse me, uh, you know, you're Miss Diamond, right? She kind of looks around. She's like, yes. I said, I don't know if you remember me or not, but you helped me work on my truck a few months ago. You carried those little wheel chocks. She's like, oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. Did you get that thing fixed? Yes, ma'am, I did. Thank you so much for helping me. You know what? Can I buy your lunch for you today? You were so nice to help me. And she said, well, sure, I'll let you do that. So I bought her some lunch, and I was there by myself, and I said, and had lunch with her and talked to her a little bit. She was a nice person and and you know she'd been through some rough things in her life and was trying to better herself and make it just like everybody else is and and it was just a really neat experience and i you know shook her hand and went about my life never saw her again but uh but it was just a, a neat unexpected bit of roadside assistance from somebody and, and it just you know it, it's a good lesson in life that you know we all choose to do different things with our life most of us don't get a choice about what we do on our life and even when people do choose something that many people may find wrong, they can still be good people. And the diamond was a nice lady and she helped out some poor son of a bitch with his broken truck one day. And it just made a really charming story. And I was really happy to share that one. And, and, and yes, a, a hooker does make better roadside service. Cause you know, they, uh, they don't ding your insurance and they're <laughs> there 24 hours a day. Oh, what a heartwarming holiday story. Uh, I feel it, all it Christmassy is, it, on the it, inside I, now. I, I, exactly. And wherever, and wherever Diamond is today, I hope she has found whatever she was looking for in life, and I hope her life is going well. She, she was a nice person. I'm sure there's some awful comment about that making you feel warm and gushy, but I will abstain. You got oh, If, if, if y'all are ever bored, just go find that story on Ben Wiki and read the comment section. Aside from everybody in the world not understanding that on that truck you couldn't unbolt the drive shaft and telling me what an idiot mechanic I was. Other than that, <laughs> there were so many puns on, yeah, I bet she greased his shaft or this is not the only. Anyway, oh. I, I even sold some merch and I wish I could find, if I could find Diamond, I would give her half the money for this merch. I, I came up with a t shirt design. And I shall, if, if you, if you watch the Vinwicky New Year's Eve special, I've got that shirt on, on New Year's Eve special. 
but it's 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 like a pair of kind of cartoon lips smiling with like a gap in the tooth kind of biting on a big diamond and it says diamonds drive shaft service and this sort of boogie night spot and <laughs> sold the crap out of those shirts after that story and i owe diamond some royalty somewhere so i'm going to go back to Athens someday and find diamond in the retirement <laughs> home for hookers or wherever it is she is now <laughs> and, and give her a check for half of the proceeds on these uh diamonds drive shaft service merch i love but, it uh, but yeah that, that's how that story went down but yeah there, there are some hilarious hilarious comments in that on that story so that that's always a good read i'll have to look that up you have what may be one of the baddest dodge ram pickups anywhere on the planet and that dream truck came from it it was once owned by drug smugglers how did you come yes. to have it and what's it like owning a seized vehicle uh what have you learned about it and uh, are you still cleaning that up well, I have left most of the – some of it has been replaced. Now, the carpet's still there. I'll eventually get around to replacing that, too. I haven't really left it for nostalgia, but honestly, I, I take that thing off-road so much. The carpet's so full of mud and grease and oil and spilled Dr. Pepper anyway that it, a little bit of blood down there doesn't really matter. Uh, what's been like owning that truck, finding that truck? Let's see. Well, I've always liked Dodge trucks my whole life. I was a kid, one of my – cousins had a friend that had like a ram charger i thought was super cool and another guy had one of those like the big it was like the the power wagon you know the big off-road with the big sticker kit on the side kind of like they had on the hardcastle mccormick not hardcastle mccormick uh, simon and simon anyway i just thought they were cool looking trucks and i'd had a couple of them already and just like them they're simple i like the mechanics of it i like the cummins diesel so I had pretty much worn out one. It was an overland truck I'd built. I'd taken this truck literally all over North America. So I off-roaded it pretty hard. So I was in the market for another one. And, you know, a diesel 3,500 truck, even eBay motors, et cetera, you know, most of the ones you found were either like some city boy Cadillac that was in immaculate shape and they wanted $50,000 for it, or it had been some like oil field work truck that like had been dropped out of an airplane like you know there was no in between just a well cared for but not completely exorbitantly priced truck so i kind of like ed does you know i started looking around for like you know salvage vehicles or one that had like rolled into the water a boat ramp or something because again i'm you know, i'm pretty handy mechanic like i can fix stuff on it. i don't mind fixing something i just want the truck the chassis the cummins engine the rest of it i can sort out so I finally get to this like website that I, I can't remember the name of it. And they're not even around anymore. It was a super sketchy production. Anyway, <laughs> they just listed a couple of trucks on eBay motors that said these were at an auction and you know, we can buy from this auction. If there's a truck there that you want, you know, let us know, let us know what you want to pay for it. We've got a license to go in. We'll go in try to bid it, win it for you. And if we get it, it's yours. All right, cool. So I'm flipping through pictures and they've got a few other trucks and a few other vehicles, you know, some boats, a couple of airplanes, a couple of exotic cars. And there is this black truck. And I had been a fan of the second generation and third generation Rams anyway, but the third generation looked the most like this concept truck that had come out in like 99, I think. And, uh, Dodge had released it was like a modern interpretation of like the old World War II power wagons, you know, with the big narrow hood and the fenders, kind of like what like the like the ambulances on MASH, you know, that sort of old timey World War II Korean War era front. Yeah. It was kind of like a modern interpretation of that. And it looked really cool. 
And I was excited because, you know, back in the day, I mean, Dodge came out, you know, the Viper was a concept car, made it to market. Prowler was a concept car, made it to market. This Dodge was a concept car. I'm like, how long is it going to be? Never made it to market. So, you know, I thought about possibly building one out of a second gen. Could I modify the fenders? I'd sketched it out a hundred times, all these different ways I was going to build a truck. Well, when the 06 came out, it looked a lot like that. It had the big headlights that kind of stretched up onto the fenders, had that narrow hood. Man, they had the mega cab now. Like it was like everything I wanted. I was like, oh, this is awesome. So sure enough, it is a 2006 Dodge mega cab 3500 with the Cummins. Got big ranch hand bumpers on it. It's got aftermarket wheels. Everything on this truck was black. Now this is blacked out cars are pretty common now, but 10 years ago, you didn't see them that much. It was, that was still the days of Chrome and billet and all that kind of stuff. This thing looks like it has just been dipped in not even flat black paint. It was just black, like, like not Vanna black or anything like that, but just this deep, deep black that light just seemed to disappear into. And it was perfect. And I called the place up. They're like, yeah, we can get this truck. You know, it came from a DEA auction. This is what we want for it. And, you know, it's got a little bit of work done. I think there's a chip in it or something to give it some better mileage. Uh, it's got a little bit of damage, but it's not bad. All right, cool. Sounds good. Let's go do it. So they go obtain the truck. And I rent a car and I drive. I'd send them a deposit, I think. And they're like, look, if you get here and the truck's no good, you know, you can get your deposit back, et cetera. All right, fine. So I rent a car. I drive it to outside of Houston, a little town called Jersey City on this side of Houston from Atlanta. Drive it to Houston. Pull up, sure enough, it's this little warehouse out in the middle of nowhere, like no markings on the building. It's just middle of summer, middle of Texas. And there's this chain link fence next to this building, kind of between it and another building. And there's that truck just sitting there, like behind a fence, barbed wire around it. Like even in daytime, this thing was just menacing. It was just dark and had these aftermarket headlights, that looked like eyes. And it was just this. It looked like a transformer or something. It was a bad one. Like it just had this evil look. It was, it was exciting. I was like, oh yeah, yeah. So I go inside and it's like you open the door and there's like this little containment room. You have to knock to the next door and you knock and there's a little slit opens up and it's some lady. And I go inside and it's like just a dude at a folding table with a laptop, a couple of boxes of files, kind of a cute girl helping him do paperwork, stuff like that. Looks like they could pack the place up in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so you know we go outside look at the truck you know and the guy's like well here's the keys you know i'm gonna take it for a test drive i'm gonna do some paperwork i'm like you don't want to go he's like ah, no it's fine so i take the truck out immediately like as soon as i crank it up it doesn't even sound like a normal con it's like it's got like a lope to it i'm like oh, this sounds either good or bad one of the two creep it out of the road i'm waiting for braking traffic there's one of the big highways you know the two lane with the turn lane to the side you know turn lane in the middle about 10 lanes of traffic wide probably all the way across and and i'm waiting for a gap you know the truck's going by cars going by waiting 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 i finally get a gap in traffic and i and i give it the pedal and i'd driven some diesel trucks i you know my father-in-law at the time had an f-250 and you had to pretty much floor it and you know, it'd slowly start moving and you kind of get up to speed so i get an eye in traffic just tap the accelerator on this truck and this thing rear tires light up that thing launched across the road it did this beautiful like eight lane tokyo drift power slide <laughs> out into traffic just holy crap you know and, and you've driven like like a big heavy powerful truck like a you know if you get a, a corvette or a, some kind of sports car from under you you know the wheels get crossed up and you're sliding and you catch traction you know there's enough traction to overcome the weight of the car and it'll shoot you off into the bushes or do something unexpected but 
if you've driven like a, a big, heavy, powerful car, like, like Brett, like you're, you're in palace probably like this, you know, like if you got a lot of power in a big, heavy car, the mass is going to take those tires, whatever direction you're going. So they're really easy to control in some kind of a slide. So I just, you know, turn into it, just leave my foot in it, do this beautiful, beautiful power slide out in the road, you know, straighten it out. Truck straightens out beautifully. Shifts fine. I look down, the speedometer is already past 100 miles an hour. I'm like, holy <laughs> crap, this thing hauls ass. So I go down a little ways. I turn on the expressway, give it the gas, get on the expressway. Tires break loose at about, you know, instantly. Back off the gas, get the throttle back, you know, get the traction back, get it on the road. 55, 60 miles an hour, the tires break loose again. This thing kind of fishtails out in the traffic. I change lanes over the left lane, just put my foot in it. This truck is fast. I'm like, man, what do I have? So I, I get off the interstate. I get on, like, you know, kind of hop off, like take a left turn. I'm now like under the overpass. There's deserted road. I pop the hood. And as I said in the Vin Wiki story, it was like, it's like in Pulp Fiction. They open the, they open the briefcase. And there's just like that glow, you know, <laughs> I, I, I open the hood. And there's just, you know, this ginormous air intake that's like air filters the size of like an office trash can, this big shiny <laughs> crossover pipe, you know, all this aftermarket stuff, aftermarket injection pump. The I can see around the heads, there's like some, like, you know, aftermarket, you know, sealer. So somebody's obviously had the head off of this thing. It's got injectors. It's probably got pistons in it. Like this thing is like hot rod under the hood. I'm like, oh my God. Because the price they were asking for it was like significantly less than those trucks are going for anyway, let alone what looked like probably 20 grand worth of engine mods. So, and I'm thinking like, man, well, why are they asking so little for this truck? And the only clues I had were like, you know, the, you get in it, you know, the, the rear, the, the driver's seat bolster was broken. The radio panel was kicked in. The sun visor was pulled off and there was like, looked like some kind of drink stains or something all over the carpet, the dashboard on the passenger side. So, you know, okay. Some fist fight happened. Somebody spilled their Dr. Pepper, whatever. So I shut the hood on this engine. I get back in it and I'm like, oh my God, I gotta see what this thing will do. So there's again, deserted Texas road, just straight to the horizon line, nothing out there. I get in it and I kind of do like, you know, country boy launch control, you know, left foot brakes and automatic, you know, left foot brake, build up the boost, get it going. It starts straining and straining, dump the brake, pedal to the floor, four wheel drive to get all the grip I can. This thing launches in four wheel drive so hard. It just throws me back in the seat just fantastic roar just launches out of the hole and again you know diesels have a lot of torque and if you've done a lot of drag racing you know that that launch that's where you just pick up so much speed it's coming off the line in four-wheel drive with 14 and a half inch wide tires this thing just launched you know goes to the gear blah, 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 blah. you know I'm, I, I look down at the gps the, the i've already pegged this but our gps says 138 miles an hour oh and and I mean, the, the tires are starting, like the truck is gaining height because the tires are actually starting, they're so wide, they're starting to like cone out like wagon wheels. So <laughs> truck's starting to gain height. I'm oh, like, oh, this, is not, this is not a good activity. So I, I, I back off and it, it settles back down again. And I turn it around. I'm just like, oh my God, this is like, I have discovered the treasure here. So now I'm very carefully driving it back because I like, now I like don't want, it's like finding something really good at the flea market. Like you don't want somebody else to get it or what, like, <laughs> or they got to change their mind or something. Yeah. So I get it back to the shop and I'm just like shaking. Like, I'm so excited. I don't care what's happening in this truck. I'm going home with this truck. This thing is a gold mine. Uh, they're, they're not even interested. They're like, yeah, it's has some damage. They, there's some kind of weird exhaust on it. I look up underneath it. There's like, like three mufflers welded end to end and all this like 
like insulation wrapping around the exhaust. It's not like that heat wrapping that people do on headers. This was like loose. It was like you were trying to protect it from the cold or something. I'm like, okay, that's weird, whatever. It had a couple other weird things. It had some infrared lights on the front off of like a striker or something, you know? And I'm thinking, all right, maybe they take it hunting. I don't know. Why. Maybe they just wanted it to look cool. Who knows? So I pay the guy, get in the truck, drive it back. Very first day on the way, I drive it back from Texas. I, as soon as it gets dark out, I realize that the lights don't work and the dashboard <laughs> lights don't work and the horn doesn't work. Like basically everything on that truck that could make a sound or make a light had been disabled. The only thing that worked was like there was a little spring loaded momentary switch on the dashboard that made some like bumper lights come on for a second. And there was an old 24 volt converter inside it that ran the infrared lights and what I presume were like night vision goggles or something. It was like some military stuff. And I'm thinking, man, you know, what did they, were they like, what were they doing with this truck? You know? Yeah. So, uh-huh. I, you know, I, 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 I pull off and it's dark and I pull off this gas station and I'm looking at the, the dashboard. I'm okay. I, I very, at the very least, this truck hauls ass the very least I need some dashboard lights where I can see how fast I'm going. So I, I look at the fuse panel. All the fuses are missing. Okay, no problem. They just pulled the fuses out. So I, I go inside. And I get like a big old sweet tea and, <laughs> you know, pack of fuses, a couple of things like that. And I come outside and it's this little like South Alabama country gas station out there. There's these two girls running the counter, got 10 teeth between the two of them. And, <laughs> uh, the, the, the leader who was hogging eight teeth all to herself <laughs> was this big big woman and, and she she had a t-shirt on or a sweatshirt on where she had like ripped the sleeves out and the neck out just to kind of contain her neck and her big old arms but but there was this little winnie the pooh on the sweater though and and, and i walked in and she's kind of she looks like a large marge from peewee's big adventure <laughs> and uh and she kind of scowls up at me got like that one tooth kind of hanging out like pumba from the lion king and uh and I get my stuff, and as I'm paying for my sweet tea and the fuses, uh, you know, and it's it's like a little, like almost like a general store. It's like a little camping section, a little hardware section, a little home goods section, just your general used convenience store. And uh, as I'm paying for my, my my snacks and my and my fuses, I look at the lady, and I, she's got the Winnie the Pooh sweater on. I said, "Ma'am, you got some poo on your shirt." And <laughs> she just she just looks up with me, this kind of scowl on her face, and she goes, "That's just my." bare chest and she smiles that big old snaggly oh, missing no. tooth look like her tongue's in jail <laughs> so uh so i laugh too because i've, I've used that line on literally because i'm like a dad joke fan literally anybody that's got winnie the pooh on her shirt i'm gonna say that line because i can't resist <laughs> first time anybody ever came back on me with that one's so i'm really happy so i go outside and i put the tea in the cup holder and i pop the fuse in and immediately, like, smoke just starts pouring out of the dashboard. Like, oh, my God. Yeah. So I, I, I pull the fuse out. Smoke doesn't stop. I'm like, oh, shit. You know, like, electrical fires. Yanking it, nothing. I can't. It's all up under the dash. I cannot find it. I'm like, oh, shit. So I pop the hood. And now I'm trying to, like, tug at the, the, the battery cables. They won't come loose. Like, oh, my God. My truck's on fire. I just got this treasure. So I, I run over the little box by the gas pumps. It's got the, the, the um, smoke, uh, the fire extinguisher in it. And the fire extinguisher is gone. I run to the other gas pump. That fire extinguisher is gone. I'm like looking around. I, I, I go sprinting over to the building. That fire extinguisher is gone. I go running into the in the store. And the ladies are, you know, one lady's in there digging through scratch-off lotto tickets. A commenter since pointed out that Alabama did not have scratch-off lotto tickets. But I don't know. We were near the Mississippi line, so maybe they came over state. Who knows? Scratch-off lotto ticket lady 
as I go running the door, just frantically sees me and she goes, we ain't got no fire extinguishers and don't call no nine one one. Cause we ain't got none of that neither. <laughs> I'm like, crap. So I like out of the camping section there, I just grab the hatchet off of the, out of the camping section and just go running outside and just like, like take my big old sweet tea and just goose it down to the dashboard to try to extinguish the fire. I take the hatchet, just hack the battery cables off to, to stop the electrical fire. So, you know, fire's out. I'm just standing there, you know, just, you know, middle of nowhere, dump truck, Cali, Alabama, middle of nowhere. My, you know, my truck is on fire, smoke, this is melting plastic and just smoke everywhere. And I dump my tea all in the dash and it's all wet, nasty. And the battery cable is just laying there, just kind of sparking off the hood of the truck. And, <laughs> and I'm just feeling dejected, but you know, I don't go out that easy. So I, you know, peel back the cables with my Leatherman tool, twist them back together, you know, took the hatchet back inside. They didn't charge me for the hatchet. They were nice. And, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, everything is just melted. But this is another thing I love a Cummins truck. I get underneath it. Everything's toast. I, I, I got some wire out of my toolkit. I, I ran some wire to the, basically wired off the, ran the wire to the computer, wired the ignition, turned the key thing fired up cranked up the dashboard is just melted looks like as i think i said in the story like a salvador dali painting like the gauges are all distorted everything's mashed <laughs> out of it nothing works but the engine cranked and i just rolled the windows down and drove that thing from south alabama all the way back to athens <laughs> just oh drove it straight to the dealership just left it but it made it and, and it's that truck has never let me down since got it home <laughs> and proceeded to you know start figuring out the history of this truck so i'm going through and i'm you know, I get the truck back, you know, we put a new dashboard in it. And I, I did most of that. I had to get a new dashboard from the dealerships. I put the dashboard in, figured a few other things out, rewired it. And in the process of all this, you know, I'm looking at this exhaust manifold wrap and everything else. And again, it's not like a, a header wrap. It's just some kind of, I don't know, like just some sort of heat insulation thing. I'm thinking like, what were they like? What was the point of this? So I, I started Googling it. And like, that was some stuff people did to like keep the heat signature down. Like it was, a, I was like, was this thing like a smuggler truck? And it starts to all make sense. It's got infrared lights. All the wires are cut. Like I was all the way back. I'm trying to figure out like what, what happened to this truck? Why is this truck in this state? And sure enough, they had like cut all the light, white wires to the light so that nobody turned the light on out in the desert. They cut the horn. They just cut all the wires and twisted them all together up under the dashboard. But they had put a one big hot wire under the dashboard that everything else was tied to that ran through the fuse block and when i put that fuse in what it did it didn't like everybody said oh well, you know, it just popped the fuse well what it did was before that fuse popped it melted the insulation off of that wire with which all these other wires that were like there was like a hard wire from the battery up under the dash to these other wires that were then linked together with this fuse so even though I pulled the fuses off, now I've burned the insulation off. It was just a one-to-one -one battery connection. Oh, no. It was basically like self-destruct. It was like self-destruct. <laughs> so it was like a self-destruct button, essentially, for the truck. So whoever done this was just monkeys. And, of course, the motor wasn't – everything in the motor had been turned up to 11. They weren't <laughs> trying to preserve it in any way. So it just took me, like, literally like a year to just unsmugglify this thing. You know, I took the infrared <laughs> lights off, rewired all the lights back. You know, the, so the uh, one thing of mine, the one thing that you haven't touched on that I keep waiting for you to touch on 
was the uh, the possible Dr. Pepper that spilled all over the inside of this. Uh, okay, all right. Well, that, that, the Dr. Pepper. So a couple months later, I, I, I've got all the focus exhaust stuff off, you know, cut the mufflers off, put a five-inch exhaust out the back of it. Truck dynoed at 698 horsepower and 1,158 foot-pounds of torque. <laughs> it was a riot. Jeez. So a buddy of mine's over there. I'm still working on it. He's, he's looking at the truck one day, and I, I've replaced the dashboard where that been kicked in, put a visor back on it. The seat's still broken. And the, the carpet when I was clean. Now, the whole truck had been clean. There was You could just see little stains down at the cracks in the carpet. It wasn't like there was splatter all over the dashboard. It was just it had been wiped down, but you could still tell they didn't like get up in the vents and get in all the cracks. So I'm, I'm cleaning the truck up, do a few things. And my buddy's there and he's a hunter. And he's like, he's like, man, what is this over here? I was like, I don't know, it was a drink or something. He's like, hold on a second. It looks like blood. He goes out of his truck and he gets this light. Now the, the blood tracker lights only work with like fresh blood, really. Like, you know, they're for tracking like a fresh blood if you shoot a deer or something in the dark. But like, like dried blood, though, will show up like jet black under a black light. So he shines the light and sure enough, it is black. Like he's like, dude, that's blood. There's blood in your truck. And I was like, Oh crap, man. And that suddenly kind of started making sense. You know, it was like, it's got all the smuggler modifications, you know? So I kind of put this story together in my head about, okay, this is, they must've, they were trying to keep it quiet and tried to wrap the heat, the exhaust up. So the infrared, the DEA or border patrol, whoever's infrared didn't see it. They must have cut all the wires to the lights, so nothing bad. They didn't accidentally turn the headlights on and get spotted. They were driving with the infrared lights. Some of them must have gone bad. Somebody died in it. That's how I ended up at the auction. That's how I got it. The motor was hot-rodded. I guess they could get away, whatever. So, anyway, so I'm like, man, that's really dark. So, a few months go by, and I've only had this truck about a year at this point. I'm helping a buddy of mine move. He had a bunch of old Range Rovers. We were hauling like three at a time with my truck and this big flatbed trailer. And he had somebody of his come and help. And my truck's parked outside. We're inside getting the trucks ready to roll out. And the guy walks in and said, man, whose black truck is that? If we were still in Texas, I'd swear that truck was the one that owned by the drug smuggler my sister used to date. <laughs> and, exactly. And, and now this is in like North Georgia now, but I bought the truck was seized in Laredo, Texas. I bought the truck in Texas. Like, And I, I could never find any history on the truck, by the way. Like if you do a title search on my truck, or like a VinWiki search or a Carfax or whatever, it only goes back to 2011 when I bought it. Like the 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 government does mm-hmm. this thing with like salvage vehicles and like Caesar vehicles. It's called washing the title. So they essentially issue an entire new title for the vehicle and essentially erase the past of that vehicle. And it just keeps oh. the it keeps the criminals from being able to track down who's got their car. It keeps the people on the car from tracking down the criminal. It just it just cuts the ties between the civilian world and whoever's in this criminal world. So these guys, you know, so anyway, I, I could not find any ownership history of this truck. The only thing I could find was that in 2008, it was per, it was sold new in 2006 to some guy in Texas. In 2008, it was purchased for cash on eBay. But after that, that truck was not registered anywhere for three years. <laughs> Like it was just in like, you know, and Laredo's right down there on the border. It was just in a barn under a tarp airwolf style or something. I don't know what they did, but I could never find this out, you know, and and, and, again, like no, no way of tracking down what they did with this truck or what was happening. Yeah. So, so anyway, so the guy says this, he said, man, that, that truck looks just like the truck that my sister, the drug smuggler, my sister dated back in Texas. 
And it's a very distinct truck. I mean, it did not have all the roof rack and roof tent lift suspension. I've added all that stuff on it. At the time, it was just a stock body truck with aftermarket wheels and the bumpers on it. Everything else was bone stock, but still blacked out. And it was it was still pretty distinctive. It had these Texas stars in the middle of the wheels. Like it was a obviously distinctive truck. You have so many stories and so much stuff I want to cover that we're going to have to have you back. (laughs) We're not going to get to half of it tonight. We're absolutely going to have you back, but I'm going to hit you with a question we hit everybody with, and it's always uh, everyone's favorite. What is the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car or in a truck? (laughs) Uh, Well, I got engaged to my second wife in a Corvette at 140 miles an hour, and that turned out to be about the dumbest thing I've ever done. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that kind of hits home. (laughs) I mean, I've been arrested three times. I've had some other mishaps in cars. If you watch me, Mickey, I've been shot at and chased and all kind of stuff, but those didn't carry nearly, nearly the expensive penalties that that being married to her did. (laughs) So I'm going to go with that one off the top of my head. Again, that but, hits uh, home. Yeah, <laughs> Done. So I, 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 I'm a frequent flyer uh, myself. Uh, I like I like to think that I'm a romantic. You know, I fall in love hard. I just don't always uh, pick people who, who, who like me long term. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as as many people said, you know, next time I'm just going, you know, find somebody that hates me and skip to the end. But. Uh, <laughs> But 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 anyway, but uh, but quick bit with the, with the truck though. You can edit this back if you need to. Uh, so the guy, I had a ton of commenters when I told that story on Ben Leak. You were always like, "Oh, you're such a loser, you plus you dumbass, etc." Like you had somebody there that knew the history of your truck, and you didn't tell them. You're such you missed your chance. You're such an idiot. But at the time, I was thinking that like, okay, I don't know if this guy still knows the drug smuggler. I don't know if this oh. guy has connections to the truck still the blood that was in my now blood evidence is still good dna wise for about a decade i'm out of that now by the time i was on ben wiki it was no longer good but at the time i'm thinking man i've got a truck that i really love that has literally got possibly the only link of somebody to a murder in it i'm not about to tell somebody that thinks they recognize it i was like oh so i just play dumb like, oh yeah man i'm I got this truck a while back, man. I think it came from Florida or something. That's, that's really crazy. Like, I play dumb, and, and, and people just don't understand that. But that's situational awareness. You know, like, you can't just be like, oh, wow, my truck came from Texas. Tell me more. Tell your friend where his truck is now. Like, no, I, so I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> I think it's fair. But, uh, yeah, but, but after that story aired, I had a Border Patrol agent contact me, and, uh, and he said, hey, you know, we watch your stories online. You know, we like watching Ben Wiki while we're sitting there in their trucks all day. But I heard your story about the truck. He said, there's a few things that you got wrong about it. Uh, the short version is that, like, you know, our infrared, we can spot a rabbit miles away. You're not going to hide a truck from us. He said, what the smugglers do there, they drive out on these big ranches on the border. They're like, you know, 30,000 acre ranches. Yeah. They'll pick a lock, break a lock, buy a key, something. They'll sneak out to the border, which is a river down here. They'll sneak out to the river, transfer guns, people, drugs, whatever, you know, my truck doesn't have any like secret compartments. The whole truck was a secret compartment. Like they just piled the bed high, crammed the back seat full. There was no need to hide something in the fender wells. The whole truck was a secret compartment. <laughs> so he said, we call those coyote trucks. He said, what they'll do is they'll get out on these ranches. They use the infrared. So the ranchers don't see them and call us to go and bust them. They wrap the exhaust, all this other crap to try to keep the, the sound down. And then they hot ride the crap out of the motors. 
He said, so what will happen? They'll go out to the river. There'll be somebody on the other side. They'll have workers that ferry the guns, drugs, people, whatever, across. They load the trucks up and head them back to town. He said, if we try to bust them, what they do is they will just punch it and take off. He said, they got hot rod motors. We can't catch them unless we've got a helicopter because you know, our Silverados can't keep up with these things. He said, but those bumpers, he said, I guarantee you your bumper was welded to the frame, wasn't it? I was like, holy crap, it was. He said, they weld those big, like, ranch hand. My bumper weighs like 500 pounds. He said, they'll weld it to the frame. And he said, they will drive through gates. They will run through a herd of cows at 100 miles an hour. He said, they just make a straight line and whatever they run through. And that's how they get away. And he said, we call them coyote trucks. He said, they're pretty uncommon. And most of the time, they end up pretty shot up or they wreck them. They'll hit a gas line or railroad tracks or something in the dark or something. He said, but that, that's what you got. We call them coyote trucks. I said, hey, can you look at mine? He said, no, he said, even if I could look up your truck, I can't tell you anything. Oh. I'd lose my job. He said, oh, so even God. if he said, I don't know, but even if I did, I couldn't tell you. He said, they watched the titles because for that reason. So he said, you know, you got one. He said, good luck. And I said, yeah, man, I've been fixing stuff on this truck for 10 years. But anyway, that was the, the quick wrap up on the, on the smuggler truck. So, uh, yeah, but that, that truck, it, however, has been the most important things in my life because it was that truck at the car show where Ed Bolian stopped and talked to me about the truck. And I told him the quick story and he said, Oh, you should come tell that story on the channel. And that's how I ended up on VinWiki 28 stories later. That truck is how I made friends with this car club that I'm in from that same car show. That's how I ended up in, you know, the, the Southern classic doing transcon stuff my friend like literally everybody in my world right now my friends my roommates i've got like everybody all can focus back to that one that truck has been the center point of everything that's happened in my world that truck got me i traded a guitar sculpture i did for the engine in that truck after that engine blew up <laughs> that sculpture has gone on to be the piece that's gotten me piece after piece after piece like Buying that truck, completely aside from owning the truck, has absolutely changed my life in completely positive ways. My friends, my career, my work, building Transcon cars, getting to drive through other countries, like sponsors I've got now for overseas stuff, like everything in my life came back to buying that truck. And it has wow. been a complete pain in the ass. <laughs> owning that truck has literally <laughs> been the funnel point for my entire life, changing for the better. So whatever bad stuff happened in that truck, whatever Santeria curse or ghost of that drug smuggler that rides along shotgun with me, whatever bad happened in that truck to put it in my hands. It has been the source of so much positivity in my life in the decade I've had it. And I will keep wow. that truck for the rest of my life. That is nice. awesome. That is That's incredible. absolutely awesome. We've been speaking to Christopher Michaels, artist, car maven, cannonballer, smuggler, truck owner, and uh, so many other things. You can find all the social media links for Christopher on readthedriven.com. Pal, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on. Well, hey, thank you so much. I feel like I talked the whole time, though. I'd love to interact with you guys some more next time. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's have some more discussion. I'll just... Don't just, don't just have me and we, telling stories from Vinwiggy. We got so much more to cover with you. We'll just have to have you back. Well, man, yeah, I'd love to. Sure. I, I, I'm really honored. I, I've enjoyed your show. I've listened to it for a while. I've been I'm so honored to be a part of it. I'll be happy to come back anytime. Thank you guys for having me. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. 
You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and listen everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Corey Pratt yep. and Mark Groves. Yo. Thank you all for listening. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah. Ho, ho, ho. And we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. Yeah.